This is the Idea Time Show, Idea Time Show with Dr. Joe North, helping facilitators expand their creativity, confidence, and impact through the power of innovation in action. Gain confidence as a facilitator, confidence with the technology, and confidence with your content and event design. Tune in every week for practical tips, strategies and interviews that will accelerate your personal and business success. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jo North. Hello, how are you doing? It's so good to be here with you again. And we've got a great session planned. This time we are talking about psychological safety and trust. And that's really important, isn't it, when it comes to virtual facilitation and getting everybody engaged. So we have got a really fabulous session again this time. Now, before we get into the main content, I've got a bit of an announcement to make because I had a competition today. I just said there's some goodies. I didn't say what they are and you won't know. You'll get surprised by all sorts of lovely stuff. I said I've got some goodies for anyone who wants to post in the Facebook group and let me know what their highlights have been of the programme so far and also what you've taken away from Supercharge, your virtual engagement on Zoom and how it's helped you. And these can be small things, they don't have to be massive things. And we have some winners. Barb, who's over in California, I believe. Hi, Barb. And Barb's really enjoyed the the science-based the science-backed research and so on. Barb's been facilitating for a long time and I think you've enjoyed, haven't you, hearing a bit more research about what you're putting into practice already. Susan has enjoyed the team elements of things and getting to grips with some of the tools, especially the futurescaping that we did on day three. Um, Annalisa loved day one and all the practical tools and had a fantastic session. Chris has been enjoying the questions and thinking about Know, the what if questions and so on from the how to get ideas flowing video and Sarah Price has found all sorts of things really useful and particularly getting things you know engaged the bite-sized chunks and more so a goodie bag is on its way to all of you and I really hope you enjoy it and Barb will have to think about the best way of getting yours to California I might have to create a virtual goodie bag for you for while you're waiting for the physical one because it might take a little bit of time. Not that long, I don't think. Right, so we're going to move on and as I've said, the theme for this evening is all around trust and psychological safety. And these are relevant in every single event, in every single team. Whether it's a team that comes together and you're running sessions regularly with these teams or whether they're people that are coming together for the first time or maybe they meet infrequently. These themes are still really, really relevant. And we're going to start off by thinking about well, what makes a high performing team. And I'm going to kick off using the Lencioni model, which some of you might have seen. And this is based on research in terms of what, you know, when you look at the teams that do the best, what are the fundamental critical success factors that are underlying that success? What is it that makes that team so great in their performance? It all starts with trust. So where there is a lack of trust, so if we start at the bottom of a pyramid, if you can think of this as a pyramid, and we're going to start at the bottom, the very foundation of high performance in any team is trust. Because if there's an absence of trust, 
then people won't feel that they're confident to you know, have conflict, have a difference of opinion, have an exchange of views. When you think about it, then trust is important because you, know, you don't vocalise what you think, you don't speak up quite as much if the trust isn't there, if you feel that you'll be judged or, or maybe not part of the team or seen differently just you know for speaking up we're all less likely to speak up aren't we so an absence of trust leads to low performance but actually if you can build trust and have people feeling that it's okay to have a bit of vulnerability to ask things to speak up when they don't think things are right or when they're uncertain that's really important we need trust in order to take risk and the next level is once we've got that trust in place, it means we can have healthy debate. It means that we can have that exchange of views. And having that exchange of views means that we are greatly committed to the task or the activity or the team overall. So, you know, if you think about it again, if you are in a situation where you are worried about speaking up, then, you know, you're not going to speak up and then decisions are going to be made that don't have your input. And if a decision doesn't have your input and you don't really buy into it, then you're not committed. So you can see how trust leads to open debate and healthy, positive conflict, which then leads to people feeling committed because they'll have vocalised their opinions, they'll have had a say in the outcome. Um, even if you know it goes a different way, at least they'll have been able to speak up and have the conversation openly. And when people feel committed, they feel more accountable and accountability drives results. But at the bottom of all of these is trust. And when you think about this specifically in a facilitation environment, especially online, then it's about building that trust so that people can have an exchange of views, they can feel that they're committed to what's going on, they can feel accountable, and then the results will come out. So really important in that virtual engagement environment. So what is trust? Well, there's been some great work actually done on trust in a business setting by David Maesters, and I really like his trust equation. So on the top of this equation, there's credibility, reliability, and intimacy. And what credibility is that we have the knowledge, the experience, the expertise, the wherewithal, the skills, understanding in order to be trusted. So in order to generate trust, we need to have credibility in a business context. We need to be perceived to have reliability too. Now, reliability is doing what you say you're going to do. It's about showing up in a consistent way. It's no nasty surprises. You know, it's people know what to expect from you and you're really consistent with that. So you're sort of living your personal brand values very consistently. And then there's intimacy and what intimacy is all about is openness, the feeling that we know enough about that person and we've got some sort of relationship where we feel we can actually discuss things with them. So the generation of trust comes from people showing us that they are credible, they're reliable and that they have that level of openness as well. Now you'll notice that under this equation there is self-orientation and what self-orientation is, is how much we feel that somebody is looking after themselves first and foremost and only themselves versus how much we feel that people are coming towards us and are interested in what we want and need as well. Now, too much self-orientation 
it leads to distrust because we think, well, that person, you know, they could be credible tick, reliable tick, you know, could be open tick, but actually it's all about them. It's all about what they want to achieve for themselves. So we will distrust. And that's why it's under the line on its own. It's because it's such an important factor in this trust equation. But go to the other end, and if someone doesn't demonstrate any self-interest, yes, of course, have whatever you want, we'll do whatever you want, we'll do whatever you think's best. So they're people-pleasing, they're putting everybody else's needs ahead of their own. That also leads to a lack of trust, doesn't it? Because we don't know where we stand. We feel that somebody's just saying yes to us all the time. We feel like we don't really know what they think. Are they a bit of a politician even, just agreeing with everything that everybody else is saying? So the right place to be from a trust point of view and self-orientation is to be really confident and clear about you know, what I need and also want the, to know what the other person needs and to want that for them too, just as much. So it's that, that win-win space in the middle. So trust equation, we need credibility, reliability and openness and we need to actually to be interested in what we need for ourselves just as much as we're interested in what other people need and we want to help achieve that as well. And when you think about that, intuitively it all stacks up, doesn't it? And I'm sure if you are thinking about other relationships that you have, you know, people who you feel trust you or don't trust you or people who you trust or don't trust in a work context, I wonder if this sort of resonates with you. And as you're watching, you know, let me know, let me know in the comments how you're finding this. Are there themes that you recognise in here when you think about the practicality of it? Now, let's bring it all back into virtual facilitation specifically, because what we need for this engagement that we really want that to drive engagement with people being involved, inputting, answering questions, coming up with ideas, sharing and all of that good stuff. And psychological safety, which is a specific form of trust, is essential. And what it is, Edmondson and Daly, and Edmondson's a really leading researcher in psychological safety, and this is in actually the August Harvard Business Review, there's a latest article about psychological safety, is people feeling they can raise questions, concerns and ideas without any fear of personal repercussion. Now, when people are in virtual workshops, you might think, well, what are those personal repercussions then? You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? But they could feel that they look silly or that other people disagree with them. They might speak out and say the wrong thing. The boss might judge them badly or whoever. You know, there's lots and lots of things that could be a personal repercussion when people are in session. And here are some things that get in the way of creating psychological safety. People could be concerned that they're going to be embarrassed or get reprimanded in some way, that actually you're expected to conform with what's going on, you're expected to agree but you're not really feeling it but don't feel confident or that you can actually speak up. And this is interesting as well, when we're in a physical meeting, a face-to-face -face meeting or we're all sitting around a table in the same room, we give each other subtle signs that we support what's going on. You know, there's body language going on. There are looks and expressions between people. So when you're in a room, you can sense, if you're about to speak out, you can sense whether or not other people have an alliance with you in terms of what you're about to say. You can sense that. Whereas when we're on Zoom, we don't really have that as much. It's hardly there at all. It's really, really difficult to pick up on. 
other things like distractions in the environment, feeling like whoever's facilitating or driving it is asking assumptive or leading questions. Chat can be a bit of a distraction as well. So chat, I know we had a great session on day one about how to use chat in Zoom and there's a video on that. But chat used unwisely can be a real distraction. Seeing ourselves on screen, we don't go into a physical meeting room and put ourselves in front of a mirror, do we? But quite a lot of delegates do that when they're on Zoom. They're not necessarily doing it deliberately, but they're seeing themselves on screen in the middle of everything. And you know that can be quite disconcerting as well. So I'll often suggest if you want to, you could just click on the image of yourself in Zoom and just do hide self and ask the people to, if they want to, they can hide themselves if they don't like seeing themselves on screen. Also the sense of recording, you know, that might put some people off. And lack of pre-meeting contact. So if you're all out and about in the same building, the chances are that you'll have a conversation with your colleagues about it before the session. I think sometimes when we're doing things online and we're doing lots of things online as we are right now, then that step gets missed. So maybe a phone call or a quick Zoom or something, you know, a phone is nice. No phones work really well still these days as well. Then have a bit of pre-meeting contact with people so that they can be warmed up, they know what to expect and they can share any concerns with you as a facilitator one-on-one. -on -one. So any pre-meeting contact, even simple emails and asking them, you know, what they expect, what they're concerned about, what they're looking forward to can make a big difference. Now let's go into some more things. How can you help build this psychological security? What are some of the things you can do? Straightforwardly is to build in more informal social time within your sessions. I quite like the idea and use it very frequently where I'll have a lobby that opens 15 minutes ahead of an event. I'm there for chit chats, have a coffee, bring your croissant or whatever, you know, if it's breakfast or, or something. And, and just sit and chat with everybody, just get settled in before the actual main content starts. And I've talked about this before, but you can also keep Zoom on in breaks and just ask people to turn cameras and mics off. And if people want to rejoin early or sit and have the cuppa and have a chat, then they can always turn the camera and mic back on as well. And those are small things, very actionable and really help. They're also good for you as a facilitator because you can get a vibe in terms of where people are at with the session and how it's going and what they're thinking because they'll often reflect back to you how they found the activities. Another technique is to use appreciative inquiry and I don't know if you've come across appreciative inquiry. I've actually got a lot of free resources that I've created around this and I'll put links to the appreciative inquiry pack and material that I've created but what it is it's about building on the positive. It's really doing a strengths-focused approach in your sessions. So yes, you could go down a route of, well, what's wrong? What's not working well? Very valid. There are absolutely you know, lots of times and places where that is bang on the right thing to do. Sometimes though, if you want to create a stronger sense of psychological security, then work on what's working well. You know, ask people where the strengths are so that you can focus on doing more of that. And that's what appreciative inquiry in a nutshell is all about. I mean, I could do and have done sessions all about appreciative inquiry, but I hope that gives you a flavour of an idea. And I'll, as I say, I'll put more resources there for you. And build in any activities that involve storytelling, 
recognition of experience, expertise and perspective. Ask delegates to do things that share the experiences they've had, that share any stories they've got about the matter in hand, whatever that is. Because when people tell their story, when they share their experience, they start to feel really valued and it plays into a really strong human motivator, which is we always love to be able to help. We always love to be able to share what we can offer with other people. And it taps into that. There are lots of activities you can use to do that. And some of them only need to take, you know, two or three minutes. Can you think about a time when, you know, how does that relate? And that could be positive stories or it could be challenges that they've overcome as well, which is also a positive story, I suppose. And also activities that involve genuine approaches and efforts for problem solving where you really want people's contribution. You really want every individual to contribute to coming up with a solution to solve something specific. Again, this really builds that sense of asking for help. People like to be asked for help. You know, we feel valued because we know we can make a contribution. And another really easy thing to do is to socialise your content and approach in advance of the session. And I think I've spoken about this in every session that we've had which is let delegates know what to expect, let your team members know what to expect. And it could be a regular meeting that you have, uh, that's fine, but keep it fresh, keep it different, don't make it samey. Do the unexpected, but also let people know to a point what to expect as well. So socialise your content in advance of the session. And I've talked already about hiding self-view and, and speak of you using chat and just being really flexible. So yeah, the doorbell goes and it's okay. We're all in that situation at the moment. And I think if we can just be really relaxed about that, and I'm sure you are, but we probably need to say that we are relaxed about it, then that will help as well because people won't be worried about what's going on around them and making a noise or being seen to be doing the wrong thing and all of that. And of course, and you do this already because you're all awesome, is to lead with mutual trust and respect. And, you know, go first, right at the bottom of the pyramid that we were talking about earlier, with high-performing teams and trust being the real foundation. The leadership role is to go first with trust and vulnerability. And I know that you're doing that already. That's it from me on this session. I hope it's been really useful. I'm going to post some additional resources, especially on appreciative inquiry. I've actually got resources where you could run a whole session, a whole day, based entirely on appreciative inquiry techniques. So I'm going to post that down here so that you can access it. Okay, that's it from me. I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Idea Time Show, brought to you by Dr. Jo North. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and access more completely free resources at bigbangpartnership.co.uk forward slash resources. We'll see you next time.